Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, your guest co-host, Wiz Betts. Today we're going to be talking about UFC Orlando, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Kevin the Trailblazer Holland, because it's going down this Saturday night in Orlando, Florida, live at the Amway Center. I mean, listen, Wonderboy has been complaining about not being able to fight a striker. Kevin Holland's been complaining about not being able to fight a striker. Well. Now they got what they asked for. So on paper, should be very exciting. I have my own theories about what's actually going to take place in this fight. But regardless, man, they gave us a 15-fight card, absolutely stacked. And uh, this is the last month of UFC fights uh, until this little break uh, going into 2023. How's it going, Wiz? So far, so good. Thanks for having me on again. Really excited for this card. Uh, Definitely one of the more stacked fight nights that we've seen in a while. So really excited to break these fights down with you. Well, let's get right down to business. Main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We got the former number one contender, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He's 16-6-1, taking on Kevin Holland, who's 23-8. and eight. And currently, they got it. Kevin Holland, minus 160. The comeback on Stephen Thompson's plus 140. So... You know, I, I pride myself on getting the best of the lines, but unfortunately, this is a spot where, you know, I snoozed and I lose. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I was cool with taking Kevin Hall in that pick em price, but minus 160, not saying that that's a bad price, but it's like, you know, when you miss out on a 50-cent move, it's, it's okay to just pass. But how I see the fight going down, you know, obviously, Wonder Boy's last two fights didn't go his way at all, to say the least, right? But... You know, the narrative going around as well. You know, Kevin Holland isn't about to come out here and wrestle him like Bilal Muhammad did, like Gilbert Burns did. And 100%, I believe that's true. I think that if he is going to have any kind of grappling success, it'd be more so dropping or hurting Wonder Boy and then maybe jumping on a neck or something like that. That's kind of the grappling success I could see from uh, Kevin. You know, Stephen Thompson's historically shown really good submission defense. I mean, you remember that fight against Wooly, that guillotine was nasty, man. And that was that was heart and balls by Wonderboy, man. I know he's got the pretty face, and I know he's this nice guy, but the dude's a dog, man. You can't, you can't doubt the guy. And also, I guess the talking point for me is, you know, with him approaching 40 years old, I've always thought that his chin might be a little suspect. I know people like to reference the Anthony Showtime Pettis fight, and that's, that's all fine and dandy. And it's funny because when they do reference that fight, they – downplay it like it was this fluke because wonder boy was winning until he got caught but honestly i've noticed this issue before the, the pettis fight i noticed this in the jake ellenberger fight back in the day when he got dropped by jake ellenberger i noticed this in the two woodley fights when he got dropped i can't even count how many times he got dropped in those two fights i remember the darren till fight where you know people all they talk about was how it was this big robbery whereas i'm thinking of it like nothing happened for four rounds and then Till dropped him in the fifth round. So you give the fight to Till. But the bottom line is the, the issue with Wonderboy, look, his distance is amazing. I mean, that karate style, you know, you can't just, you know, have a training camp with your normal training partners, you know, to get ready for a guy like that. You got to bring certain looks in. I'm not convinced that Kevin Holland's been bringing anybody in to emulate Wonderboy. But the thing is, with that style, obviously the distance, the you know, it, it, the variety of his kicks, the dexterity of his kicks, the karate blitz. It's just something you're not used to. But that being said, karate guys fight with their hands down. Wonder Boy approaching 40 years old. 
know, the power might still be there, but those reflexes, I swear to you, are slowing down. The technique is going to be there. I know that. It's just, can he still take it like he once did? Because like I said, back in the day when he got dropped by Jake Ellenberger, he was able to pop back up. The Woodley fights, I have no idea how he popped back up. Pettis fight didn't pop back up, but uh, the till fight, the till fight, he popped back up. How many times can this guy keep popping back up when he gets dropped? I think that Kevin Holland is one of these guys that, you know, he's kind of hit or miss, but he's a guy that's very active. He's a guy that's paid his dues. And, you know, people talk about how, well, when you put Steven Wonderboy in there with a striker, that's when he shows out. I mean, look at the, the Jeff Neal fight. Look at the Luke fight. And you're right. That's a valid point. But, I mean, look what happened when Kevin Holland fought Jeff Neal. He knocked out Jeff Neal. So, to me, um, I think that this is a very well-matched fight. And I'm curious if the matchmakers are at all being like, yo, you fought Chimaev on a day notice. Like, here you go, man. Here's 40-year-old Wonderboy in the main event. Get yourself back on track. Get the biggest win of your career on paper. You know, I know Jacare was a really big win on paper. This will be a big win on paper. I'm picking Kevin Holland to come out here. Look, I think that Kevin Holland likes to talk. And I know Steven Wonderboy is a super nice guy. So I think at times they're going to be high-fiving. They're going to be, you know... They're going to be hugging each other. Wonderboy has this thing where you remember when he dropped uh, Luke and then he helped him back up. Remember when he dropped? Dude, I'll never forget how pissed I was when I bet Wonderboy inside the distance against Patrick Cote. He goes out there, drops brutally, and then he helps him back up and gives him a hug. I'm like, oh, my God, dude. So I think there's going to be, you know, trading some leg kicks back and forth and, you know, smiles, high fives and hugs. And you're going to be like, dude, what the fuck is this? It's just that when Holland finally does find the opening for that straight, right? I mean, I'm not sure how Wonderboy is going to react. And when there's one thing I know about Holland is when he gets you hurt, he closes the show. And I think he's going to close the show Saturday night. So I got Kevin Holland to knock out the great Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Great breakdown. You summed up a lot of the points that I was going to bring up with the, with the knockdowns from Till, Ellenberger, and Luke. Uh, people in the chat here know me about the the measurables. I'm always bringing out the measurables when it's applicable. And Holland here has a three-inch height advantage and a six-inch reach advantage, and it's hard to look past that, especially when it's against someone in uh, Wonder Boy who darts in and out of range with his hands down. That's going to be susceptible for counters left and right. And Holland himself, he's he's no slouch in the striking department. He's very technical and really straight when he's throwing these punches. And I think Wonderboy is going to have some trouble dealing with the, the power that Holland brings to the table. And not to mention that Holland himself has some grappling background. I know he got absolutely mauled in his last fight against Kamza Chemaev, but who didn't expect that? Uh, at least Holland for a couple of seconds was trying to roll away and he almost found some success doing so. But I would not be surprised at all if Holland tries to initiate some sort of grappling here, knowing that uh, Wonderboy's kryptonite is that grappling. And on the feet, I do think it's it's pretty close, but Holland with the reach and the the power advantage here, I do think he does shut the lights off and uh, knocks out Wonderboy. Probably in the third round is what I'm going to predict. I did end up getting Wonderboy, sorry, I did end up getting Holland at minus 130 for 2.6 units. So glad I, I pulled the trigger, but I pulled the trigger a little bit too late. Um, so yeah, give me, give me Holland here. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about the weakness, it's not, a weakness in grappling it's a weakness in wrestling i mean because like 
if Wonder Boy was so bad on the ground, Gilbert Dorino Burns would have tapped him out. That's just the bottom line. If Wonder Boy was so bad on the ground, I mean, you saw that straight armbar that Bilal was going for in the second round. Like he would have got, he would have tapped out if his ground game was that bad. I just think that his wrestling is what's lacking. And Holland ain't exactly known for being an offensive or defensive wrestler, but he is a black belt in jujitsu. So he drops Wonder Boy. Don't be surprised if he jumps on a neck, not to mention with those long limbs that you were alluding to, that makes it easier to snatch up a guillotine. That makes it easier to snatch up a Dars, an Anaconda. Or if he's on his back, throw up your legs for a triangle. That's one of the advantages. Those are some of the long man chokes. Um, so... I wouldn't be surprised to see a submission, you know, contingent on him dropping him and hurting him first, right? But like I said, historically speaking, Wonderboy's submission defense, like, we go back to that Woodley fight. That guillotine, man, he was dangling off that neck. Like, it looked like his, his fucking head was about to pop off his shoulders. And the fact that he was able to survive that, now, granted, you know how long ago that shit was, man? That was seven years ago. That was nearly a full decade ago. Let's just put it this way. Conor McGregor was like a champ champ that night. You understand what I'm saying? So, yeah, it, actually, that fight was the co-main event. So that happened more recently than the last time Conor McGregor touched gold. So that's how long it's been since we've seen. So, you know, those kinds of things, like, you know, knowing that he's at the end of his career, is he still, has he still got that dog in him? Because I know in, in his old days he did, you know, Wonder Boy, like I said, don't let the pretty face fool you like this guy. This guy is willing to go out on a shield. So that's one thing I've always respected about him, despite that sometimes the fights can be a little bit, not always, but sometimes they can be on the boring side if you don't engage with them. And that's something we're going to talk about with Ankle Live because people are like, oh, Ankle Live is the most boring fighter. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, because these guys are hesitant to to you know exchange with him and he's a counter striker but you saw what happened when Iwan Kutalaba charged him you saw what happened when Anthony Smith tried to make it a fight that's when uh <laughs> that's when Ankalaev is exciting so Jan Blahovic you know he's going to make it a fight so I guarantee you that fight's going to be exciting too but I digress cuz I know I can talk about that fight for a long time and that fight's coming up next week but without further ado let's talk about the co-main event in the welterweight division we got the future Hall of Famer, Rafael Dos Anjos, uh, RDA. He's 31 and 14. Taking on the mini legend, Brian Barberena, who is 18 and 8. And currently they got it. Holy shit. <laughs> minus 550 RDA. Depends where you look. I see some minus 625s too. The comeback on Barberena is plus 420. Look, am I picking RDA to win this fight? Yes. But I just don't understand like what would be the point of laying a price like this on him you know it's like on shark tank when you see those crazy valuations man it's like yeah the business is good but uh you know the valuation is absolutely nuts so for that reason i'm out but my pick is rda man i think he's gonna be able to mix in takedowns the thing is our uh, barbara is no slouch man i mean but he's also kind of a hot and cold fighter like he's the kind of guy if I told you that Barbarena and Jason Witt got into a fight and only one guy got dropped, you'd be like, oh, of course it was Jason Witt that got dropped in that fight. It was actually Barbarena that got dropped in that fight. But then you'll see him go out there, beat a guy like Matt Brown, a legend, beat a guy like Robbie Lawler, eat his best shots, and then go out there and knock him out. You'll see him even in uh, some of his past fights, man. I mean... I know Sage Northcutt's kind of a laughing stock in MMA now, but at the time, man, that was a huge upset. The Warley Alves fight at the time, that was a huge upset. Not to mention, let's talk about this. So he couldn't drop uh, Jason Witt, but you know who he could drop? 
the current UFC welterweight champion, Leon Edwards. So don't sleep on this guy, Barberena, especially if RDA is feeling frisky. He wants to test his stand. I'm not saying RDA can't win the stand-up exchanges. I mean, that body kick from the southpaw stance, the way he's able to flow, um, his combinations to his takedown uh, attempts, his entries is absolutely beautiful. He really blends all areas of MMA really well but the thing is people get lulled into this false sense of security with barbarena because you know he's got the dad bod he's really hittable the thing is you keep hitting him and he's still fucking there and after a while you start asking yourself like what's it going to take to knock this guy out if rda tries to brawl with brian barbarena not saying he can't win that fight but just saying that's where if you had a ticket on a plus 420 on barbarena where you might be like okay i like this i like the way this is going but I just am not in the business of laying minus five something on guys that are one or two fights away from retirement. I'm good on that, especially against a respected guy like Barbarena who dropped the current champ. So I'll pick RDA to come out here and, you know, land some takedowns and win this decision. But, you know, because of the price, I'm out. Yeah, it's it's tough to to look away from this price and you never want to lay a price like this, especially when the fighter that you're betting on is the older fighter, is the shorter fighter by four inches too. And the one thing that I feel like the whole MMA Twitter or just in, in general MMA fan could respect about Barbarina is that durability. And he he never goes out uh, and gives up. He goes out on a shield, kind of like how we were talking about Wonder Boy earlier. So it, it's something that you have to admire. But RDA has the one thing that Barbarena struggles with, which is the wrestling. And people have wrestled Barbarena a lot in, in the UFC, and we've, we've seen the, uh, the success they've had. Now, my question here is, is RDA going to be able to mix it up well enough to, to get to the wrestling and keep Barbarena down? Because Barbarena does have that, that fighting instinct where he, he'll, he'll pop up. He'll get tired. But we've seen him when he gets tired, he ends up knocking these people out. So <laughs> what do you what do you expect? And if you're holding that minus 500 ticket, minus 600 ticket on Rafael Dos Anjos, you expect them to get this done pretty quick. Now, I'm not saying or I'm not trying to shy anyone away from a current bet that they already have on RDA. I'm just talking what I see. Uh, I do think that RDA does get this done. Uh, I do think it's going to be a submission in the second round, which is something that I'm going to be betting personally, but just a sprinkle. Because there really isn't no other way to, to target this fight, in my opinion. Inside the distance is probably going to be juiced. I haven't checked the line. I don't think it's released yet. But it'll probably be around like minus 270, 280 on RDA. Um, yeah, I, I can't get to that price point. And if Barbarena, I mean, all it takes is that one punch to rock someone. And if you find the button, you know, Dan, it's <laughs> that's where things start going south. And you start questioning yourself about why you... You held a, a minus 500 ticket on someone who's 38 years old. So, yeah, ultimately, I'm going with RDA here by sub. Um, but I would not be surprised if Barbarina keeps this a little bit closer uh, than the line uh, is imposing. Yes, sir. Before we talk about this featured bout between Mateus, Nicolau, and Matt Schnell, everybody do uh, me a huge favor and smash the like button. Good to see all y'all in the chat. Uh, appreciate y'all being here. Now, let's talk about this. Featured bout in the flyweight uh, division between Mateus Nicolau. He's 18-2-1, taking on Matt Schnell, who is 16-7. And, and currently, they got it. Holy shit. <laughs> Again, minus 400 Nicolau, plus 300 Schnell. You know, 
I mean, like, why? Why? I mean, look, I favor Nikolai, of course, you know, but min- minus 225, minus 250. Okay, that's fine. But minus, minus 400, like, you know, again, you know, the, the valuation's crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So for that reason, I'm out. But no, listen, all, all Shark Tank uh, stuff aside, you know, it's been Thanksgiving weekend. So we've been binging those episodes. But uh, so after. Matt Schnell's last fight with Sumadarji, you know, one of the best fights of the year. Not the best fight of the year. The best fight of the year is Jiri versus Glover. Don't don't even try to debate me on that. Hands it, down. It, it wasn't Hamza versus Gil, which like all these fights I'm about to mention are all great fights. It wasn't Hamza versus Gil. It wasn't Dustin versus Mike. It wasn't Schnell versus Sumadarji. It was Yiri versus Glover. But one of the best fights of the year happened between Schnell and Sumadarji. And at the end of that fight, after Schnell had been, you know, rocked all over the place, he gets on the mic and guess who he calls out? He says he wants Mateus Nikola. I believe he said at Madison Square Garden. He didn't quite get Madison Square Garden, but he gets to fight him a couple weeks later in Orlando, Florida, uh, in Orlando, Florida at the Amway Center. So he got his wish. Now, I'll give you my analysis, but I'm also curious, like, what 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 kind of tricks does Schnell have up his sleeve here? Like, what does he see in this matchup? Like, that he went through all that damage in that fight, and he still had the wherewithal to know who he wanted to call out. That he knew he wanted this guy. He knew specifically, I want Mateus Nikolaou. There must be something in the matchup he uh, he likes there. So here's what I got to say about Mateus Nikolaou. I've always loved this guy, man. I mean, I remember when he cashed that max bet against Louis Smolka, where. You know, it was only like minus two something, you know, and like it was already a max bet based off the tape. But then you were watching the interviews and people don't put much stock in the interviews. And I understand why they don't. But from time to time, you should. And that was a case where you where you should where you should have because Louis Smolka was talking about how he'd like drink himself to sleep and wake up drinking. I was like, oh, so it's not just a big bet. It's a max bet. Um, And then uh, Nikolai goes out there and like drops him like six times. This was like prior to Smolka getting finished in the first round every fight. This was when Smolka still had that Hawaiian chin. That's the only reason that Nikolau didn't get a knockout in that fight because he literally dropped him like six times, which is crazy. So Nikolau has really been tightening up his boxing. That's the thing he's been working on the most. And his jujitsu has always been on point. He's always been, I mean, I believe he might even be a world champion jujitsu guy from back in the day. So the guy's nasty on the mat. The guy's got hands. It's just sometimes... The pace can be a little bit too slow for my liking. And then on on the other hand, not the chinniest, but his chin can can be there to be cracked. But on the flip side, if I'm going to say that about Nikolau, you must say that about Schnell because Schnell's been knocked out on multiple occasions. And usually when you talk about the weakness of Nikolau being the chin, I think the weakness of Schnell is 100% the chin. And Sumadarji... You know, just didn't have the experience, the maturity, not to mention he I'm not going to make an excuse with the knee injury because I know plenty of guys that have gone out there. I saw GSP go out there with a fucking torn groin and beat Tiago Alves uh, at UFC 100. You know what I'm saying? Um, For three straight rounds, like, you know, third round and on. Like, so I've seen dudes go out there with injuries all the time and gut it out and make shit happen. You saw my boy Jamal Hill not tap when his arm got broken. Like, so it's just different for different folks. Sumadarji, you know, he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, 
all his losses are by submission. That's just the bottom line. He's got like six submission losses. That's not the kind of thing you're going to see from a, from a high-level black belt like Mateus Nicolaus. So on the feet, Schnell's a skilled guy, man. I mean, both guys got calf kicks. Both guys got decent boxing. I'd say that the technique on the Nicolau side is a bit better. I'd say the durability is better uh, for Nicolau too. But Schnell's a dog, as you saw in that last fight. Um, you know, he's willing to go to the bitter end. It's just that I think Nicolau is a lot more mature than Sumadarji. I think his jujitsu is infinitely better than Sumadarji. And I think that if he's got Schnell on ice skates and he's got Schnell that hurt, he's not going to make that rookie mistake. Uh, like Suma Darji did. And I think he either closes the show or he rides it out for the, for the decision. Cause that's the thing about Nick Lau. Sometimes it's a little bit lower pace. Sometimes he can coast, which I think maybe as a result of, you know, the Dustin Ortiz fight ever since then, he's kind of been playing it safe a little bit, but don't sleep on the guy's skills. Uh, and we'll talk about the James Krause thing when we talk about the Marcelo Rojo fight. But you remember when he, when Nick Lau fought Tim Elliott and it was, uh, I think it was 1-1 going into the third round, and James Krause told uh, Tim Elliott, you're up 2-0, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can just coast this last round. I was, You know, you think he had a Elliott by decision ticket there or uh, or, or maybe a Nicolau by decision ticket uh, based on that minor fight? Nah, all, all jokes aside, I, I'm going Mateus Nicolau. I'm just not interested at, at this price. Yeah, I, I tend to agree here. Uh, I think Nicolau is the rightful favorite. Uh, he's more accurate in the striking. He's more powerful than Schnell. And he can mix in the wrestling. Although I don't think it'll be in his best interest to mix in the wrestling here. I know he's a black belt, but Schnell is just wild, man. And he reminds me a little bit of Roy Val. I draw similar comparisons about the way they scramble and end up in these advantageous positions on the on the mat. So I, I think he would want to keep this standing for as long as it could be because that's where he has the, the easiest path to victory with that knockout. Now, uh, just to bring this to attention, uh, Chanel has a four-inch reach advantage here, so I'd be interested to see how Nicolau does in entering the, the range. And as you mentioned, his weakness, or I wouldn't even call it a weakness, is, is the chin. Like it, it gets touched up a bit, and Chanel does have some power. Now, do I want to hold a, a minus 300 Nicolau ticket either? Probably not. Uh, parlaying them early on when the, the line was better was the right move. And f for me, it's I just can't look past the durability issue with Chanel. He's been dropped way too many times. And if Sumadarju did not have that bad of a fight IQ in that fight or the injury or a combination of both, he would have been finishing him left and right. And I also think the, the ref gave Chanel a little bit of a the benefit of the doubt trying to prove his toughness in that fight too because it could have been stopped in multiple occasions uh, i do think nicola ultimately finds the chin and knocks chanel out probably in the second round towards the third so i kind of like the fight doesn't go the distance odds here in this fight i found it at minus 130 on bet online earlier uh, i'm probably going to be betting that i haven't placed the wager yet but I, I just don't see how this fight does not end one way or another. Because Chanel is going to be looking for the finish. And Nicolau, if he just pieces him up for a couple of, uh, for, for two rounds, I think ultimately in that third, he'll be able to find that kill switch. So give me the fight doesn't go the distance at minus 130. And I do uh, pick Nicolau here. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Tai Tuivasa. He's 15 and four, taking on Sergey Pavlovich, who is 16 and one. 
And currently, they got it. Sergey Pavlovich. I see. I see some steam has come in. He's minus two ten. The comeback on ties plus one eighty. This is a great fight. This is a great fight for a lot of reasons. Firstly, one thing I wanted to address: Did you realize that this dude Sergey Pavlovich has like the John Jones reach? Did you know this dude was out here with an eighty-four inch reach? Like, god damn, and he's a southpaw. Like, sheesh. I built in a lab. You really was. You know, I've heard the Ivan Drago comparisons all week, and uh, I see where they're coming from. All his fights, uh, I believe they all end in the first round, which, you know, you love to see it. It's just, you get, it raises the question, what happens when fights go past the first round? I've seen on the regional scene what happens when fights go past the first round, and interestingly enough, I wasn't that impressed with Sergey Pavlovich on his regional scene, but in the UFC, this guy's just been... Uh, a destroyer of men. And I mean, I cashed a plus 100 on him against the Black Beast. You can call it an early stoppage all you want. Uh, one guy face planted and it, and it wasn't the guy I bet plus 100 on. So plus 100, great. You give me plus 100 against Tuivasa. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the gamble, but you know, minus 215, I'm just kind of like, you know, Tuivasa can crack even in fights he loses. The last one against Cyril Gan. I mean, he dropped Cyril Gan badly. Prior to that, knocked out all the guys he had been facing. Is also a dude that's been paying his dues since day one. Um, he's kind of like the new school Mark Hunt. I mean, he's kind of for heavyweight standards. He's a little bit short and stockier. I mean, he's six foot two. I'm just saying for a heavyweight, you know, you got these killers like uh, Francis Ngannou now at the top, and this guy Sergey Pavlovich. But anyways, Tatuivasa kind of more short, stocky, like like the new school Mark Hunt. Um, Big leg kicks, that leaping left hook when he breaks off from the clinch, nasty elbows. His get-up game has been getting a little bit better. I know he's been putting in work. Um, I like everything about Tuivasa. The only thing I don't like is he's coming back pretty soon from a knockout loss. Took a lot of damage in that fight. And listen, I know he's going to fight his heart out in this fight, and I know he's live for a knockout in this fight. It's just that I like to see guys take – I'm not a doctor, so I don't know the science behind – Oh, he, he, he hasn't taken enough time off. How much is the right time to, to take off? I don't fucking know, man. Cause I saw Frankie Edgar get knocked out by Brian Ortega. And then a month later he beat Cub Swanson in the rematch. Right. So it's just different for everybody. But then sometimes you see guys go out there, they get knocked out and then they come back pretty soon after they get knocked out again. So, and this is heavyweight Sergey Pavlovich, man, those fucking long ass limbs, man. It's a, it's a big advantage. So I guess my only question is, what happens should this fight go, you know, past the first round? And also the Southpaw versus Southpaw dynamic also makes it pretty interesting, Wiz. Yeah, that's one thing that I'm interested to see because we don't see this that often in the heavyweight division where you find two Southpaws going against each other. You you mostly see the orthodox position when it comes to heavyweights. So this is going to be fun. And I want to see how Pavlovich deals with it because I don't think he's fought a Southpaw in quite some time if at all ever um, from the regional tape that I've done uh, I did not see a, a southpaw now the one thing is yeah as you harped on it the the reach advantage here is nine inches for Pavlovich and oh man I think that's just going to be a nightmare for Tuivasa because Tuivasa is the type that likes to crash in on you and entering your zone whereas Pavlovich is more of a counter striker he does bring the pressure and he does walk you down but he waits for his opponent to to dive in on him first. So I think this is going to spell trouble for Tuivasa, especially coming off of a knockout loss two months ago. 
again, yeah, we're, we're not doctors, so we don't know how long is the, <laughs> the right amount to take off. But the one weapon that I think Pavlovich has that he could use very effectively is the leg kicks to the stomach, similar to how Cyril Gan was using it in, in the last fight that Tuivasa had. Those leg kicks were going home every single time. And we saw Tuivasa, I mean, that's initially what hurt him. The leg kicks, to, the teeth kicks to the stomach, the that lower stomach area is what hurt Tuivasa the most. And then he got the knockout. So I, I do think Pavlovich gets this done in round one. Uh, I'm pretty confident in that. I'm not going to say it's it's 100% lock. Don't bet your your whole bank account on it. But I, I do like the the career trajectory for Pavlovich here. The, the issue is, as his career goes on, how does this guy look in the later rounds, as you mentioned? And, um, yeah, in, in the regional scene, when he went to the decision twice in a row, both of those times he was crashing towards that second half of the second round all the way until the end. So we'll, it, that's for, the, for us to discuss in the future. But for this fight, we both know these guys are first-round killers, and I do expect the same thing to happen here. And, um, yeah, I, my pick is Pavlovich, but... Do I want to take the minus 200 on the money line? It's, it's kind of tough when you're going against someone like Ty, who is an absolute killer and only needs one shot to, to lay you out and hit that off switch. So, But give me Pavlovich as a prediction here. As far as trajectory, I mean, I wouldn't write off Tuivasa, man. I mean, I still think he's a relatively young guy. I mean, how, what's the age difference here? The, well, the they're age like the same age. It's a one-year. So, I mean, yeah, I, I still think he's got plenty of more fights. It's just more so... Has he, you know, has his chin fully recovered from what happened, uh, you know, a, just a couple months back? It was September, I believe, off the top of my head. Now, here's another interesting thing. So, Vegas, they opened this minus 115 Pavlovich. They're saying it's a pick em with a slight lean on Pavlovich. And in the last fight with Derek Lewis and Pavlovich, it was the exact same line. It was just Lewis was minus 115 and Pavlovich was minus 105. So, Basically, what Vegas is saying with these two openers on these last two Pavlovich fights is they're saying these guys are going to draw a line in the sand. They're going to stand and bang until one man falls. And I don't have an issue with that take. It's just, uh, you know, is that really the case? And if it's not the case, what happens if the fight gets extended? So, yeah, that, that's what makes it interesting for me. Um, right now, I do think the momentum is a bit on Pavlovich's side. So I think he's favored for a reason. I just don't really have any interest in betting it. I'd rather sit back and enjoy it as a fan because I know it's going to be an entertaining fight. I know these guys aren't going to be humping each other's legs and making the crowd in Orlando boo. I know for a fact these guys are going to sling big bombs and someone's going to hit the deck. And you can't sit here and cry and act surprised if Tuivasa knocks him out. But based on the momentum, based on that massive reach, and based on the confidence that Pavlovich probably has right now, I'm going to lean with him. But very curious to see what happens if you know in in the event that this fight gets extended another thing to bring up is that pavlovich has a good takedown game so if if he wants the path of least resistance he probably would aim to take tuivasa down but these heavyweights just like to stand and bang man these guys specifically do i mean there's no doubt about it you know it's not like the champ uh, Nganu who was known for nuking everybody, but when it was time to go D1 Nganu, he went D1 Nganu. But guys, it wasn't just the Cyril Gan fight that uh, Nganu went D1 Nganu. I know you all remember when he dethroned Stipe and he suplexed him. That was the time when we were like, it, it was at that moment that Stipe knew he was fucked, you know? Or at least we knew. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I think I expect these guys to stand and bang until one man falls. 
Now, also on the main card, what a stacked card we got here. We got Jack Hermanson in the middleweight division. He's 23 and 7, taking on Roman Dolidze, who was 11 and 1. And currently, they got it. Jacker, oh wow, Jack got steamed. He's minus 190. The comeback on Romando Lidze is plus 160. So I'll tell you this. I was a lot more confident in the initial matchup between Brunson and Hermanson. I loved Hermanson in that spot, man. I thought that I thought that Brunson was one or two fights away from retirement. I think that Brunson's chin has always been in question. And also, I love the way that Jack's been rounding out his game, man. You know, we've always known about his his ground and pound is lethal he's got a nasty guillotine um and just that heel hook he hit on kelvin like he's got some tricks up his sleeve always been kind of herky jerky on the feet but I, I thought that last fight against curtis was a huge step in the right direction granted a big step down but he, but he treated him like a big step down and put up big numbers you know against you know curtis where we were thinking like well curtis has been knocking all these dudes out he's been fighting and Jack Hermanson put up over 100 significant strikes, got all his takedown stuff, did not get discouraged one bit, and, you know, mixed up the attacks, was in and out, was able to circle on the outside for the duration of the fight. And when you're moving around that much, I mean, you know you're a striker. That stuff's going to gas you out. And Hermanson looked really good for all three rounds. So I was very happy to see that. And in the moments that he did get tagged, his composure was on point. So that was a very mature performance by Jack Hermanson. The only issue I have here, look, do I agree with Jack Hermanson being favored? I sure do. But th this is the definition of a letdown spot, man. I mean, you were fighting Brunson, which is another name you're getting up for, a top 10 guy, you know, a, a staple of the division, a guy who's, you know, been in the top 10, top 15 pretty much his whole career and a big win for you on the resume. Whereas now you're fighting this unranked killer who's got knockout power on the feet with his hands, with his kicks, with his knees. And on the mat, I mean, you know, I, I heard, I heard someone breaking down uh, the Phil Haas and the uh, Dolize fight. And they were saying, oh, yeah, Dolize caught him, but Phil Haas was injured. I'm thinking to myself, why was Phil Haas injured? Phil Haas was injured because Roman Dolize tore this dude's knee with a heel hook. Like, and Roman Dolize was actually classy enough to be like, yo, ref, like this dude's done. But credit to Phil Haas. Like, I've always said it. I like everything about Phil Haas except his chin. If that dude had a chin, oh my God. But like, what can you do if you get caught in a nasty heel hook, which Everybody else would have tapped out to this dude. Phil Haas takes the the uh, heel hook, gets back up, limping on limping all over the place, and still wants to fight back. And Roman was like, uh, "Hey, coach, should I submit him?" <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he he went out there and knocked him out. Um, obviously, the Trevin Giles fight was what it was. But like I say, uh, no one's exempt from that first L, and that's how, that's the kind of mistakes he made in that fight are, are the things you can learn from. Had a very strong start, kind of to fade a little bit down the stretch, played around a bit too much, lost to a seasoned vet. If they run it back, I think Dolize gets that fight. That was just kind of like, I don't think that's an indicator of issues he's going to have down the line. I just think that that was more like growing pains and things he'll learn from, you know, as he moves up the ladder that, hey, like you got to take it a little bit more seriously and you're not going to retire undefeated, you know? So I'm, I'm always more comfortable when guys are not undefeated versus when they are with the exception of like John Jones or Habib, right? The, that's just a different, you know, but anyways, 
Yeah, do I lean Jack? Yeah, I lean Jack, but minus 190 is not a lean Jack. Minus 150 is I lean Jack. And actually, minus 150 is where Vegas opened, and I thought that was pretty appropriate. So at this line, I actually do think it's a dog or pass situation. Listen, I'm, I'm not saying that Roman Dolize is going to come out here and win. I understand Jack Hermanson's fought better competition. He's more experienced, but sometimes these guys rise to the occasion. Roman Dolize it's a pretty intimidating guy. Can get the fight done anywhere, and I'm very curious to see what happens if Jack Hermanson takes him down. Roman Delize has got an active guard. Roman Delize can throw. I mean, how many uh, leg lock guys you know in the middleweight division? I know back in the day, Rusimar Pagliaras. Um, remember that guy when that guy was tearing everybody's knees apart? And I was talking about this. I did a little impromptu live stream the other day on Thanksgiving. Me and my boy, we uh, we had a couple too many, so we decided to go live and just shoot the shit. And one of the things we talked about was when Rusimal Pagliaras was out here, like, destroying everyone's knees. So this dude, just a side story, this dude was in this uh, jiu-jitsu tournament, right? And he's got this leg lock, this, this, this heel hook, like, fully locked in, right? But they go out of bounds, right? And in the rules of this specific tournament, they have to reset them from that exact position. So they literally let Rusimar Palaris reset with a fully locked in leg lock. So as soon as the ref says go, he just fucking cranks that knee apart. And uh, yeah, it was like one of the many times where people were like, yo, you got to ban this guy from the sport. But back to the point I'm trying to make here, Lomando Lidze is extremely dangerous. He's not someone you can count out. I think minute by minute, Hermanson's going to win. I think he's got more output you know, some of those vet tactics. He's been in those high-profile fights. I'm just not going to count out a guy as dangerous as Dolides is. So I think at the betting window, it's a dogger pass situation. Most likely a pass for me. I'm going to pick Hermanson as a pure pick. But who knows? This line gets a little wider, and there's a chance I might I might roll the dice on Dolides here. Yeah, and uh, Dolides, just to note that he's coming in on short notice here. Um Hermanson, let's just say it out is Hermanson has fought the better brand of competition. His striking is a lot more improved since uh, his early days in the UFC. And we saw that against Chris Curtis, who has been dropping people left and right and is a great striker in his own right. We saw him frustrated in that third round saying that Jack was running away, but that's that vet tactics. He, he's just staying away. He's keeping the distance with his kicks and just darting in when he can. And, um, Man, this this guy Hermanson, when he gets on top of you, he's his ground and pound is savage, devastating. His early go back and watch his early fights in the UFC, and you'll see what I'm talking about. I this know what you're talking to, about, dude. The, the, this guy would start off fights crawling on until he gets someone's leg and takes them down and just ground and pounds them until he gets the TKO finish. It's it's ridiculous. And then to to highlight Delitze here. He's been on a hot streak ever since taking JP by his girl. And uh, he's been on a three-fight winning streak. Uh, Delizia relies on his power in the striking. But here's the thing. Hermanson is just a better technique striker, I would say. He's better at dodging. Um, Hermanson, I think, will be the minute winner in general. But I do see Delizia winning certain moments in the fight. And, hey, Jack has been knocked out in the UFC before. So I do think this fight is could play out a little bit closer than where the line is at right now but the area where i think this fight is going to be decided is the grappling and the one thing i found is that delete sports a 33 takedown defense which is pretty bad against someone like hermanson but but, but you got to put context on that yeah it's because it's because he wants to be there he, yeah, he's, he's, he's one of those guys that like 
Okay, I- I'm cool with you taking me down because I'm going to be going for these unorthodox submissions that you're not used to seeing from other guys in the middleweight division. That's why he willingly let Phil Haas take him down. You want to take me down, I'm going to fucking blow out your knee. Yeah, I-, I do think it is a mixture of him wanting to be down there uh, and him just not really facing the best grapplers. Uh, so w- what happens when he faces good grapplers or good uh, wrestlers here with good de- uh, ground and pound like Hermanson? It- it's going to be a different game for him. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be a fish out of water because, yeah, he does have that uh, that g- ground game off his back. And, man, it- it's going to be a really fun fight for, for what it's worth. And uh, the line right now is a little bit too uh, wide, in my opinion. I would lean a dogger pass situation. I'm waiting to see if this line gets any wider so I could take Delice. But as of right now, I'm passing. I have to be looking at Jack as a pick just from a pure pick standpoint. But if this line gets any wider towards like the plus 200, plus 220-ish range for Delice, I'm going to have to fire up. Even though he's on short notice, he took this fight for a reason. It's it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I think these Georgians know how to execute when it's the, uh, time to show in the spotlight. Yeah, and to Delite's credit, that guy that he heel-hooked was a D1 wrestler. So, you know, it's not like uh, Phil Haas might not have the best chin, but the dude's no novice on the mat. The dude's still a D1 wrestler. Like, to be a D1 wrestler, you, you know about top control. You know about neutralizing guys. Now, I'm not saying he's going to come out here and heel-hook Jack Hermanson, but... And Jack Hermanson's also a guy that's landed a heel hook in the UFC before against uh, against Kelvin, which was I didn't expect that at all, man. The, the submission I know Jack for is that the nasty guillotine, and I know what you're talking about with that ground and pound, man. I mean, like when I max bet him against Talos Latus, I talk about the hard Jack Hermanson. I mean, he like had a rib injury early on, gutted out some really bad spots, and then gets on top of Talos and just pounds him out. So. You know, I, I was very happy about that. I'm excited for this fight. I can't wait to see what happens here. Yeah, it's man. Th- this fight's going to be one of the best on the card, in my opinion. I'm not going to be looking away. <laughs> there's there's no water breaks for this one. Definitely not. So before we talk about Anders versus Dacus, do me that favor, smash the like button, and if you're not subscribed, please do me that that other favor and subscribe. I truly appreciate it. And then when this is done, leave me a comment. Thank you so much. Now. Next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Eric, your boy, Anders. He's 14 and 7, taking on Kyle Dacus, who is 11 and 3. And currently, they got it Kyle Dacus minus 215. The comeback on Eric Anders is plus 185. So, how uh, how close do, do you see this fight playing out? Do you think there's going to be dominance on one side? I mean, you think Kyle Dacus covers this minus 215, or do you think it's going to be a, a, a split decision type fight? I think it's just a little bit too wide, uh, especially given Dawkins's last fight where, where he was getting tagged left and right on the feet. In uh, no right, I think he should be a, a minus 200 favorite or more. Uh, going with the tape, tail of the tape here, two inches taller is Dawkins and one inch longer in reach, so nothing too crazy here to, to harp about. On the feet, I actually favor Anders uh, with his power, although he does throw in singles, but... I mean, he, he does mix it up a little bit when when he can. The only criticism is the like punching in singles for for Anders. I, I like his overall takedown game. His takedown defense is pretty good too. Uh, Dacus, the the game he sports is he tries to use a striking to set up his takedowns, but his striking isn't all that good, and he leaves his face wide open, get hit. And against a guy like Anders, who has pretty good power, it's gonna be 
pretty hairy at moments for him. I, I definitely could see that. But if he's able to get Anders on the floor, I do think that Anders is able to pop back up. Um, and he in, in his career, historically, Anders has not given up control time all that often and takedowns, which attests to his good get-up game. I think the fight's going to play out closer than the line indicates, and um, I do have a one-unit dog shot on uh, Anders here. Interesting. So I've always been a fan of Eric Anders, man. I mean, you know, he might not win every fight, but for the most part, he fights every fight. You know, I mean, the guy is a very physical guy, um, and I've always liked his mentality. My only issue here is that, you know, if you heard his interview with Joe Rogan, he was talking about how, like, dude, I know I'm at the twilight of my career. I know I only got a few left. So not saying he can't win this fight, but just saying, like, if this does turn into that dog fight, I'm more inclined to lean with the guy who, you know, still has big aspirations to make a run, you know, whereas Eric kind of accepts the fact that, you know, these are my last few fights. Let's cash in. I mean, he's making smart investments outside the cage. My boy's investing in real estate. He, he's he's smart. He knows what he's doing. I like Eric Anders a lot. And I think with Eric Anders, he's kind of developed this style where, you know, He's really good at bullying guys, kind of like throwing a couple, you know, a, a couple punches to to create a clinch situation and go for a takedown attempt. But if it gets stuffed, it's not the biggest deal because then he's right back in the clinch, you know, throw some knees to the thighs, some punches to the body, break away and then do the same thing again, you know, engage over and over. So they're going to be turning each other against the fence multiple times. I guess my question is, you know, what happens if Kyle Dawkins gets on top? And Eric Anders, you know, he's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. He's not, he's not a slouch at all. And people were like, oh, but Muniz submitted him. Like, dude, Muniz is like a fucking world champion black belt, which Dawkins is a good black belt, but there's black belts and then there's black belts, and Muniz is on a completely different level. So just because Muniz did that to him is not indicative of Kyle Dawkins doing that to him. And when you watch Kyle Dawkins' contender series fight, it was dominant, but the reason Dana didn't sign him is because he just didn't put that stamp on there and that's kind of the issue i've had you know at times you know don't, don't get me wrong when when he's fought a step down in competition he's treated them like a step down in competition like, like uh jamie pickett he, he treated him accordingly but here i can definitely see some some back and forth exchanges and both guys getting tired both guys getting clipped i just think that sometimes eric doesn't do enough for my liking i think that if you really watch that jung young park fight closely like i get that it was definitely, you know, it was definitely a split decision type fight. And a lot of people thought that Eric got robbed. I'm not in that camp. I don't think he got robbed because did he have a lot of, you know, control clinching him up against the fence? Yes, he did. But all most of the meaningful shots were landed by Junior and Park. And that outweighs kind of pinning someone up against the fence with minimal damage. So I, uh, I'm going to lean with Kyle Dawkins to come out here and, and just slightly out-hustle Eric Anders. But there's obvious concerns about the physicality, and there's obvious concerns about, you know, Dawkins, like Dana said, after contender series, doesn't quite put that stamp on things like you'd want him to. So let's see, you know. But at the same time, Eric talking about this being the twilight, are we going to see a big, a big, you know, decline? I, I wouldn't count on it. He's still looking. He's still looking good. It's just the the lack of activity is really what is my issue. I mean, like even going back to like that Elias Theodora fight, rest in peace. But like the issue with that fight is 
he kind of stared at Elias for the first and third round, let him, you know, kick kick him with these really soft kicks, run around, and Eric just didn't do anything. Then when he finally decided to commit, he hurt Elias bad in that second round, and then the third round he stared at him. So it's like that kind of shit is where, like, the fight's going to be in reach. You got this plus 185 number. You're like, man, it's 1-1 going to the third round. You know we can win this. And you're going to be screaming, Eric, throw. Like, Eric, let your hands go. And those are the most frustrating bets to lose. So I'm going to pick Kyle Dawkins to edge this one out. Now, main event of the prelims. This is a very good fight. Smash that like button for me, y'all. And hit the subscribe button. We got... In the welterweight division, we got Nico the hybrid price. He's 15 and 5, taking on Phil Rowe, who is 9 and 3. And currently, they got it. Nico Price minus 140. The comeback on Phil Rowe is plus 120. So very interesting fight. Very, very interesting fight. So I just know like Nico Price, I mean, how can you not love him as a fan? I mean only due to have like two knockouts off his back in the UFC and against credible opponents. I mean, Randy Brown, look what he's up to now. James Vick. I mean, I know his James Vick's last few fights haven't been the best, but James Vick at one point was top 10 in the most stacked division in the entire sport. And to knock a guy out with one of only, I think so John Fitch knocked out Tiago Alves with an upkick in the UFC. I know that, Musasi knocked out Jacare, but that was outside the UFC. Are there any other like upkick knockouts like that? I don't, not off the top of my head. If you can think of one, someone in the chat, let me know. Those are the three that that come to mind. And I mean, the hammer fist from bottom against Randy Brown, the fight against Tim Means, he's getting pieced up bad, and then just finds that kill shot, devastating. The Alex Morano fight, first round he's getting works, second round he he fucking took his soul according to him. The Alan Juban fight in Mexico, like, goddamn, like, this dude, Nico Price, has a resume. He's done a lot of good things in this sport. He's a very exciting fighter. The only issue is with his type of, with his style of fighting particularly, there's a shelf life for those type of fighters. And, and that that's, you know, the pros and the cons. The pros are you're going to get a lot of bonuses. You're going to, the fans are going to love you. All your fights are going to be exciting. The cons are, you know, you're not going to have that longevity of, say, a guy like RDA. <laughs> Dude, like, RDA's been fighting since, like, goddamn when? You know what I mean? And he's still, like, still fighting top 15 guys, still fighting staples of the sport. So, yeah, uh, the fighting style of Nico Price just doesn't come with that longevity. And I just remember watching these last few Nico Price fights when they happened live. I'm thinking to myself, like, man, like, I'm going to fade this guy soon. And here's my thing with Phil Rowe. So people talk about he's got this 80-inch reach. Um, I actually think he's got like an 83-inch reach. Like, because, I mean, like, dude, he's standing like halfway across the fucking octagon punching these guys. And when he hits guys with that straight right, it's like their life flashes before their eyes. It's like they, they don't, it's like they just saw the image of the, of the of the Holy Spirit, like when they get cracked by this guy, man. The, here's my thing with Phil Rowe. Round one of every fight, it's like, does this guy belong in the UFC? Like, like round one of every single fight. I'm talking about against the the Shabazian brother, not 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 the Edmund Shabazian. I'm talking about the 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 little Shabazian. Round one, it's like, dude, this guy ain't UFC caliber. Round one against um 
fucking the Kosei brother. It's like, yo, like, what's going on here? Round one against Jason Witt. He lost round one to Jason Witt. But then round two of every fight, he looks like a future top 15 guy. Like, I don't understand why he has to get beat up in the first round every single fucking time. But what I do like about Roe is I like, uh, actually, his jiu-jitsu is really on point. He's a guy who's been competing outside uh, the UFC, like, in, like, strictly jiu-jitsu competitions, trains with Rodolfo Vieira, trains with Jacare. He's a black belt under Julian Williams. If you don't know about Julian Williams, look him up. The dude's, like, 12-1 and one in MMA. He's a... He's a real stud. Um, so I actually like the jujitsu. I just don't like the wrestling and the tall man defense. But what I do like is when this guy finds his range, when this guy finds his groove, I mean, the looks on dudes' faces when they get hit with that right hand. And I really think that Roe can come out here and knock out Nico Price. Here are the things I'm worried about. I'm worried about the calf kicks. I mean, with being that tall, being 6'4", with the 83-inch reach, you know, you got those skinny legs, man. Those legs are going to be there to be chopped. So I think Nico can have some success with calf kicks. I think maybe Nico can get some top control. Maybe his wrestling isn't the best, but on the flip side, Phil Rose wrestling defense ain't the best. But, you know, maybe a little top control here and there. I just think that as this fight progresses, Nico Price is a bit on the slower side. And this might be a spot where you can see you know, maturity from Phil Rowe. You can see a little bit more dynamicism uh, because he's not in there with, you know, a credentialed wrestler or anything like that. He's in there with just like a a serious brawler, right? Like I guess that, that's what we'd call a brawler with knockout power. Um, but I think that Nico Price is slowing down. Now he's coming off an ACL surgery. I like the dog odds on, on Phil Rowe. I'm willing to roll the dice and see what happens. If it's, you know, too uh too much too soon you know take my l like a man but it's not like i'm out here laying chalk on this this is an underdog spot and it's one i'm willing to roll a dice on i've been saying for like the last year and a half that i've been waiting for this spot to fade nico price and like nico price's last fight against alex cowboy like i know alex cowboy is a staple and we love him but like dude my boy alex cowboy's watched to the point where he got cut from the UFC and his next fight outside the UFC, he got submitted by, you know, I don't like using the word bum, but he got submitted by a bum. You understand? And they had to bring in a guy who was like two and nine for Alex to get a win his very next fight. Like that, that's, that's what my boy Alex Cowboy is on these days. And that Nico Price versus Alex Cowboy fight literally came down to the last 30 seconds of the fight where Alex slipped and Nico got on top. So I'm gonna go with Nico Price. I'm gonna go with, uh, with Phil Rowe to come out here and actually knock out the guy we love, the the very tough, the very just always, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve, always gives a hundred percent, always fights with his balls. I'm gonna go with Phil Rowe to knock out Nico Price and cash this plus one twenty. Yes, sir. It looks like we're on the same page here. A little measurable check and Nico Price is gonna be at a three inch height disadvantage and a four and a half inch reach disadvantage. This is just on paper. Um, it's been a while since we've seen Nico Price. It's been just over a year. And you got to question what he's been doing outside of the octagon. There was a period where he was talking about, like, why has everyone been de declining fights? And that could have played into it. Uh, Roe is the better of the two in the striking department, and that range is just killer, especially with his style of striking, with the straight punches. People don't see them coming. Like, people don't really realize how much of a disadvantage they're at until they're in the cage with Roe when it comes to the striking. 
which I think in this fight, just because Nico Price is not like the biggest wrestler, he's only shot like six takedowns in his 14 UFC fights. Uh, I think this is where we're going to see Phil Rowe um, and to, to his fullest potential when it comes to the striking because he doesn't have to worry about the wrestling all that much. And um, I, I think it should primarily play out on the feet and the length of Phil Rowe here, even if he does get taken down, I think he's going to be able to, to show the, the guard skills off his back uh, with that new black belt. So I do think Price does have some KO equity himself. But ultimately, I do lean the dog in, uh, in Phil Rowe here. So give me Phil Rowe. I already locked him in for two units at the plus 110. Oh, damn. You're a little impatient. Dude, I didn't want to miss it. I thought the line was going to flip, to be completely honest here. Fair enough. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Angela Hill. She's 14 and 12, taking on Emily Ducote, who's 12 and 6. Currently, they got it. Emily Ducote minus 120, Angela Hill plus 100. And that's exactly where it opened. So line has not budged. Um, it's another Angela Hill fight. I'm terrible at picking her fights. I mean, I love uh, my boy asked me, is that a gorilla on my chain? It's the, it's the iced ape. The camera doesn't do it justice. In person, it's nice and shiny. But I appreciate I appreciate that, Herc. Um, Man, I love the calf kick approach from Emily Ducote, your last fight. Angela Hill's been in there with a better competition, but she's a hit and miss fighter. Bottom line, and we'll go with uh, Emily Ducote to win a split decision and Angela Hill to cry robbery, period. Yeah, it, it, this one is uh, is harder to break down. I think both fighters are really similar in their approach. Uh, none of them really go for takedowns at all. Uh, obviously, Hill has a strength of schedule advantage and is the more UFC experience uh, fighter. But Dakota was in Bellator and she was fighting good competition herself. And uh, yeah, when it comes to Angela Hill's weakness, it's being taken down and Dakota just doesn't really utilize that in her game plan. I think this fight's going to be a very close 29-28 split decision. Possibility of a, of a judge coming inside the octagon and switching up the scores again. Uh, but yeah... Uh <laughs> dogger pass spot for me leaning hill ever so slightly but uh, there's no way i'm putting my money on anywhere near this fight yeah i i don't trust angela hill with my money but i do like fading her um made good money fading her i don't think i've ever lost fading her but you know we, i did get really close <laughs> with the amanda lemos fight man I, that that was a scare for me yeah but the issue there was it was like minus 400 lemos right like so there was really no point in betting her there but i'm talking about i bet yan jown and like minus 150 against angela hill i bet jessica andraj now this was a little steep minus 300 but i mean i'll, I'll bet jessica andraj over angela hill any day and go ahead I was going to say that the, the Lemos line I got wasn't really that bad. It was at minus 280. But, man, did she make me sweat because the, the striking exchanges were pretty close. And I thought Angela Hill was going to drop quickly in the fight due to the, the notoriety of Lemos' power. But it, she proved me wrong. For sure. Uh, Herc is asking me what company. It's uh, called the GLD Shop. They, I, I swear by them, man. I mean because um, because you, you see some of these other companies sending you chains and you know you're not getting the real thing i mean i've heard stories about dudes like fucking skin turning green and all this shit like bro like that gld shop uh they're on point as fuck and 
Yeah, I, I definitely swear by them. I don't want to say too much because I want them to sponsor me, but <laughs> I uh, can attest to them too because I have a couple of chains and bracelets from them too. Oh yeah, GLD shop is where it's at, man. And this shit's real. I mean, shower with it on, you know, have your lady over with it on. Like you don't gotta worry about it. I don't train with it on because I'm mostly doing jujitsu, but like let's just say I've been in sweaty situations and it's been perfectly fine. So very, very durable chains. Um now next up in the 155 pound division we got two vets we got the legend clay guida he's 37 and 22 taking on scotty holdsman who was 14 and 5. currently they got it scotty holdsman minus 150 the comeback on clay guida's plus 130. um you know clay guida's a legend man wins over rda finished rda by the way ruined anthony pettis's ufc debut um went out there he beat michael johnson Beat BJ Penn. Now, granted, a washed-up BJ Penn, but still, he's got that name on his resume. Beat Nate Diaz back when uh, GSB fought BJ Penn. So, um, yeah. So, you see the guy's comment? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's definitely not what I'm talking about. But yeah, I, 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 <laughs> but I gotta give him credit. That is a funny comment. So, you 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 got that one, buddy. Um, hey. All 70 plus y'all smash that like button for me. I appreciate it. Uh, so, I mean, this is another one where it's tough because most of Clay Guida's losses, like for the most part, you know, he's getting submitted in fights. Right. But usually when it's like a battle of attrition, that's where he kind of has been doing a lot better lately or just throughout his career historically. And with Scotty Holtzman, you know, my boy actually is 39 years old. Did you know that? not before i started doing like more research on the the profile so yeah it's been a while since he's fought i was surprised nine and uh <laughs> yeah these guys are going i said dance talking about khabib's bath with the boys oh my god dude don't get me in trouble man it's any basketball it's the biggest any basketball I, I i'm a big fan of uh khabib yo team khabib they got my boy Bilal right Bilal was already right but they got him even more right for that brady fight you saw what islam did against uh Charles, like, god damn, like those whatever those He's, dudes are doing, man. Like hey, it's Charles. It, it, yeah, like if it's uh now nah, you look like Air Jordan, bro, but we're, we're and you're a striker, we're not even gonna do that. But uh <laughs> yo, these guys gotta cut it out, bro. Don't even try me. But uh that that is funny though. These comments are hilarious. Um so my my issue with you know, oh yeah, good one, Uzman Nurmagomedov. That's his name, right? Usman Nurmagomedov, the, the Bellator champ that just beat. Uh, yeah, Usman. Tricky. Yeah, dude, he's God. Whatever they're doing, keep doing it. Um, but anyways, uh, don't ask me about what happens when they hang out with, uh, you know, the the Lord from from Chechnya, I believe it is. I mean, bro, like, do do you think they have a choice? You know what I'm saying? And plus, I bet I bet they get taken really really fucking well i bet they're really well taken care of let's just put it like that they're treated like royalty but i'm not going to get into that um so scotty and, and guida guida usually when he loses like via submission scotty ain't known for submitting shit scotty's just got he comes from the hockey background he's just a hard-nosed brawler it's been, you know he's been in the ufc a long time he's been rounding out his game the issue i have you know 
Lane slight chalk here is on one hand, you know, you look back at like that Nick Lentz fight where it was like Scotty landed the more damage, but he was able to be taken down and controlled at times, which the judges favored and Clay Guida can push a pace. Um, but at the same time, Scotty can crack Clay Guida. So I don't really know on this one. This one is one I really think can go either way. I don't want to write off Scotty because he just got knocked out by two top 10 guys. But I will say this, like, Scotty used to be a guy you could hit with a fucking baseball bat and, and he'd still keep coming forward. Like, you remember his Drew Dober fight? So the guy's historically super durable. I think it might be a dog or pass situation to be quite frank with you, but I'm gonna lean. I'm gonna lean Scotty, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. My boy 420 said Guida barely pushed a pace against Penn. Yeah, but you know when you're fighting a guy that you had a poster on your wall of growing up, you know, and you're asking him for selfies and autographs, and you know, in the center of the octagon, you know, it it was what it was. He didn't want to. He didn't want to hurt the legend, man. And I don't blame him. BJ Penn. You know, you saw me make my list about who I thought were the top five greatest fighters of all time in the UFC, and I already knew making that list. I put BJ Penn at number four. I already knew making that list that people were going to be like, bro, BJ Penn, what the fuck are you talking about? But, like, BJ Penn at the time, like, if you grew up watching him, it was just different than the, the way he ended his career sucked, obviously. But this is a guy that won a belt at lightweight and won a belt at welterweight. Um also was out here when you talk about pound for pound this guy went up to fucking heavyweight and fought leota machida to a to a close decision like like bj was like he was the fucking man during his prime so yeah anyways i digress go ahead scotty and uh and guida yeah the i i do think this is a pretty big step down in competition for holtzman after fighting daryush and gamera on his last two those are straight killers uh, he's been KO'd in the last two fights. Maybe that's why he took just over a year off. But the, the guy's 39. Uh, they're pretty close in age. You don't really know what to expect, but I do think it's one of the easier stylistic matchups he'll, he'll have. And uh, I, I do like his get-up game. He's pretty good at getting up whenever he gets taken down. And when it comes to the striking, I think he has he's levels above Clay Guida. And the, the power is, is no joke when it comes to Scotty. Now, the issue is... How does he look after the time off? How does he look after getting knocked out twice? It, it's going to be tough for me to, to to really judge that. And then when you see Guida, who not too long ago was losing striking exchanges to Mark Madsen, I, that's a that's an issue for me. No one really don't, loses striking. Don't, don't don't bring up that name on the show. <laughs> I mean, like, listen, I love Fight Ready. I love Neuro Force One. Man, I respect Olympians. <laughs> but when you're an Olympic, look, and I get that Greco-Roman freestyle, completely different styles of wrestling, I get it. But did that guy look anything remotely close to a, an Olympic medalist in that last fight at all? Not to mention you drop the guy and two seconds later you get your back taken. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah, I'm just going back to that point. It's like it's, it's it's not a good look losing striking exchanges to Mark Madsen. So what what does Holtzman do if he actually looks healthy? He's motivated, but I question the motivation at this point in his career at 39 years old. So I predict Holtzman to win. I think he knocks Guida out, but I will probably not get to the window at chalk on Holtzman. Yeah, I don't blame you. Now, next up, also in the lightweight division. 
We got Michael Johnson. He's 20 and 18, taking on Mark Jacasey, who's 16 and 5. Currently, they got it. They got it. Uh, Mark Jacasey minus 315. The comeback on Michael Johnson is plus 260. You know, Michael Johnson literally is a 50 50 fighter. I mean, like, literally, he's like 20 and 18. He's two fights away from being a 500 fighter. Um, it's one of these situations with Michael Johnson on his best day, he knocked out Dustin Poirier. On his best day, he beat a prime version of Tony Ferguson. On his best day, he beat Edson Barboza in Brazil. Um, and even on like, you know, some of his worst days, like he was still tagging Tiago Moises the fuck up before he got caught with that heel hook. It's just like Michael Johnson. Oh yeah, and on his on his best day, like he stuffed like all of Benil Dariush's takedowns, man. Like so sometimes. You'll see this guy with super fast hands. There's a reason they called him Blackie yeah, back in the Black Zillion days, man. I mean, the guy's got nasty hands. I think his takedown defense is on point. I just think that when he finally does get taken down, that's where it can kind of be a struggle to get back up, you know. Um, so the question here, I someone asked me, you know, can can uh, Michael Johnson stuff a takedown? Yeah, I, yeah, he can stuff a takedown. Can he stuff two takedowns? Sure, why not? Can he stuff the third, fourth, and fifth and get back up from those when you're starting to get tired of it? That that's where, you know, I have some concerns. And with DeCasey, you know, he's kind of been, I mean, he's always been talented. He's always been athletic. He's always had some unorthodox kicks, can get away with a lot of physicality. Now he's really been honing in his wrestling for MMA, some good body locks, some good double legs good top controls really riding out these decisions you love to see it and usually when he loses fight for the most part not always he's getting choked out similar to uh, like, like my boy michael johnson but uh it i just suck at picking michael johnson fights because like like i said he, he's a guy that can knock out uh dustin poirier but will lose to reza madati like you understand what i'm saying he's a guy that can Stuff all of Benil Dariush's takedowns, but not stuff Clay Guida's takedowns. So it's, I don't know. I, I mean, I'll pick Jacasey, but I'm not really interested in laying this price on him because Michael Johnson actually is a good fighter. It's just, can I trust Michael Johnson? <laughs> and no, I can't. So therefore, you know, so so for those reasons, I'm out. But uh, my my pick is gonna be uh, Jacasey. But I mean, Jacasey, you know, he's coming off a couple wins. He wants to be cocky. You know, throw some hands with Michael Johnson. Not saying he, he can't have success there, but that's where you will give Michael Johnson a path to victory. Or maybe there's an injury we don't know about and the shots aren't as effective and MJ can stuff them. Well, there's a path to victory for MJ here. Bottom line, it's just, you know, he's not a guy that, I'm, that I trust with my money. Period. So I'm out. <laughs> a lot of Shark Tank references. I love it. Uh, me measurables in this fight are pretty equal. Uh, they're equal in height and then almost equal in reach with Johnson having just a, a half-inch uh, reach advantage. We all know Casey's game plan lately has just been taking people down and just wearing on them. And it's been working for the most part, but who has he been fighting? He's been fighting... Exactly, exactly. Real yeah. quick, real quick. My buddy said, did Casey secretly move to Dagestan or something? No, Casey fought Demir Hadzovic and Slava Borshev. Yeah. And that's what I was about to harp on. It's like he, he fought Damir Hadzovic, who has horrible takedown defense, and Slava Claus, who has remotely zero takedown defense and barely any get-up game. 
Johnson has a 79% takedown defense in the UFC, but the issue with me is that his cardio is pretty suspect as the as the fight carries on. And what happens, as you mentioned, uh, what happens after he stuffs the second, the third, that fourth, fifth, and sixth is going to be a lot harder to stuff because when when you look at the stats here, Jacasey in his last two fights got eight and 11 takedowns. Those are completed takedowns, not attempts. I know it was against the likes of Slava and uh, Demir Hadzovic, but who says that this, that can't happen again where he just continually shoots until Michael Johnson just says, all right, I give up, and he's going to go down. So for me, is the cardio going to hold up for Johnson? I don't think so at his age at the moment. I do think he's the most – I mean, he obviously is the more seasoned fighter. He's definitely better on the feet in my opinion. Uh, but when it comes to – Stuffing the takedowns in the later rounds, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. Now, the the over two and a half takedowns for me on prize picks is something that I'm targeting pretty heavily for Jacasey. I know that Johnson has that good takedown defense, but two and a half is a number that he's eclipsed in the majority of his fights. And as I mentioned, eight in his last one, 11 the one before. Uh, I think that's a pretty easy target there. So... Yeah, early on, I locked in a Jacasey and Pierce parlay at very, very good odds. So I'm, I'm not going to really uh, try and harp at the line right now because it's, it's just gone out of hand. But I do ultimately pick Jacasey to win here by a decision. Narco Cop said, don't be surprised if MJ lands a takedown. All right. We'll, definitely we'll, not. We'll see about that. We'll see about that. I'll be, I'll be super surprised if MJ uh, gets a submission. That That I will be surprised by. But okay, I'll, I'll be looking out for that MJ takedown. Let's see. Let's see. I mean, listen, like I said, on his best day, he can beat the best guys on planet Earth. On his worst day, I mean, Miles Jury puts a clinic on him. So, you know, it's one of those things where I, I he's a definition of a hot and cold 50-50 fighter. But when he's hot, boy, is he hot. But it is what it is. Anyways. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Darren Elkins. He's 27 and 10, taking on Jonathan Pierce, who is 13 and 4. Currently, they got it. Jonathan Pierce minus 450. The comeback on Darren Elkins is plus 360. Look, I love Darren Elkins. I mean, the guy's a legend. The guy's just always exciting. The guy fights with so much heart. He can take damage and keep pushing forward. Gotta love him. It's just Darren Elkins beats two kinds of guys guys that can't wrestle and guys that don't have cardio. And guess what? JSP's got wrestling and he's got cardio. The guy's got insane output. The guy's gone out there, landed over 100 significant strikes in fights, and has gone out there and and put up the ridiculous takedown numbers that I always love to see. So I think that Jonathan Pierce, um, you know, I'm not really, you know, champing at the bit to lay a huge price. Um, because again, when, when I think about value, I'm not just thinking about who's gonna win. I'm thinking about is this line off, right? And minus 450, minus 500, I mean, it's like, how how can you sit here and say that line is off? Do you line at minus 1,500? Okay, th- th- then, there, then there's value at minus 500. I mean, I'm just personally, I'm not trying to lay minus 500 straight. I'm good on a parlay. So I'll just sit back and watch Jonathan Pierce whoop Darren Elkins. Maybe there's a sketchy moment or two, and then the next fight going forward, maybe we get a better line on Jonathan Pierce. But... Like I said, Pierce can Pierce can take damage. Pierce can dish damage. Pierce has got good cardio. Pierce has got good wrestling, plus the youth and all that stuff. I, I, I think that this is just a passing of the torch type fight, and I think the line reflects that. So JSB is my pick. 
correct me if I'm wrong, or let me know if you, you feel the same, but I think Pierce is just the the younger version of Darren Elkins, the second coming, but with more output. Don't you think that? They to, have- an ex- to, to an extent, because he's not like, he does get hit a lot for sure, but he's more of like a new school hybrid guy, like where, you know, I think his striking techniques better than Darren Elkins. I think that he's more athletic than Darren Elkins. Um, so I get, I get your point, you know, new school, mm-hmm. but even though he w- will be there to be hit, you know, it's kind of a tall guy has a little bit of tall man defense. Like when I think of Elkins, I kind of think of like this walking zombie and like, you've literally hit this guy with everything. You brought out the baseball bat. The guy's still there. You get discouraged. Whereas Jonathan Pierce, I see him like slowly chipping away at guys, putting up big numbers in the striking and the wrestling department. So do they have some similar qualities? Yes. But, um, I, I do think they're slightly different. Yeah, I, to me, the way I saw it is both fighters, they have pretty similar grinding style for, for what it's worth. Uh, good cardio. But yeah, the, the youth of Pierce is going to serve him well here. And the amount of damage Elkins has taken over the years, it, it's similar to the Nico Price uh, argument there where you just cannot continue taking that kind of damage for so long in the UFC. And... I think Pierce, yeah, I mean, obviously, shocker. I think Pierce wins this fight. Uh, I think it plays out a little bit closer than the line indicates, but n- nothing too crazy. I'm not talking like, oh, there's value on the the Elkins line. Uh, I just think that Elkins can make certain moments competitive. I did target this fight, as I mentioned, in a parlay early on uh, last week. Uh, another fight on prize picks where the, the two and a half takedowns was just like, all right, it's a gimme. I have to take it. So I, I do think Pierce does get the the round three TKO here and uh, and cashes for us all. But yeah, if you're if you're looking at the takedown numbers here, it's it's four in his last fight against Amir Khani, six against Christian Rodriguez, six against Morales, and some of these fights he's finishing in the second and third round where he already has six seven takedowns. So it's kind of ridiculous that they're lining it at two and a half on prize picks. But yeah, I, I do like Pierce to to win this fight, kind of like a passing of the torch as you mentioned. And if you yeah. guys haven't yet, like button, please smash that. S- smash it, fuckers. And subscribe if you're not subscribed. Hook hook us up. But next up in the flyweight division, we got a very interesting matchup between Tracy Cortez. She's having one, taking on Amanda Hebosh, who is 11 and 3. And currently, they got it Amanda Hebosh minus 110. Tracy Cortez is minus 110. So, I mean, what do you think? Uh, this is a step up in competition for Tracy. Uh, you know, some could view it that way. I mean, we're still talking about a chick that has a win over Aaron Blanchfield, c- controversial or not. It's on It's on the record. And one thing that she brings to the table is very strong wrestling, very strong top control, which is something that um, you don't often see in this division that's going to take you far. What's the biggest weakness in the champion Valentina's game? Her wrestling. We saw Jennifer Maya win a, a round against her uh, off pure top control. So having good wrestling in this division can take you a long way. On the flip side, Amanda Hebosh, very well-rounded. Blackbone Jiu-Jitsu can put up some numbers striking. Has that sneaky little uh, judo throw. How you see this one going now? Yeah, this is a, a, a matchup between freestyle wrestling and judo where the freestyle wrestling is Cortez and judo is Rebus. Um, Cortez, obviously the better wrestler, better pressure wrestling here, which I love a lot. She knows how to make her opponent feel that weight on them. 
And she also is the bigger girl. Uh, Rebus, this isn't her natural weight class. She moved up. And um, <clears throat> Rebus does have like the jujitsu edge here. Um, very well-rounded and is the better overall striker, in my opinion. Uh, she does sport an 88% takedown defense, but most of that was in uh, the prior division she was at in that lower weight class. So I'm, I'd be interested to see how she reacts when Tracy shoots. And uh, I wanted to see if, if Tracy's going to be able to get these shots pretty easily or not, because that's probably what's going to dictate the fight for Tracy. If she's able to to win the takedowns and, and wear on her, I think Tracy just cruises to a 30-27 victory here. But on the flip side, if she's not able to get these takedowns, I, I think Rebus can find a lot of success on the on the on the feet. And then if she gets those judo throws, uh, Rebus is a good submission grappler. So I want to see Tracy's ability to defend these uh, these submissions that Rebus puts up. But yeah, as I mentioned, if Tracy's able to get these takedowns, she should cruise. I cannot bet on this fight because it's so close. Uh, one of the more entertaining fights and one of the fights that I'm looking forward to the most on this card. So as a pick, I'm going to have to lean Rebus just because she has more tools to get it done. But I would not at all be surprised if Cortez wrestles her way to a victory here. Yeah, so one thing I really like about Cortez, obviously she knows where her strengths lie. That top control is on point. And she's not just, look, it's one thing to train at fight ready, which is a good gym, but when you train at fight ready and you're doing your strength and conditioning at Neuro Force One, like the stuff that those guys do, that like that's where Henry Cejudo, you know, was doing his champ camps at. Like, like they know the intricate details of things that I wouldn't even know the half of, and they're so scientific. And is I'm sure she's smashing all her records. So this is a big fight for her. And here, here's the thing. This fight, her winning this fight is contingent on her getting top control, extended periods of time of top control. Now, granted, Amanda Hibosh has had some chin issues. I mean, I get Marina Rodriguez, respectable loss, but that's not the only one. Pollyanna Vienna knocked her out back in the day. And shout out to my girl Pollyanna with a nice knockout over Ginny Frey. It's not only that. Uh, Verna Janjudoba had her doing the chicken dance in that first round, if, if I'm not mistaken. So Amanda Hiba's chin is in question. However, was it a thing where she was cutting too much weight at 115, kind of took away from her durability? Now at 125, she can absorb the shots better? Or is she just chinny? I need to know because, you know, Tracy, she's got, you know, she she's got uh she she does not have a skinny lower body and that's where you generate power on your punches if she starts to sit down on them so i'm just curious to see what happens if she can she can plant one on, on rebus chin if she can get her you know put her on a street that she doesn't know the name of you know what i'm saying but i got to bring up the last fight against melissa gato who i think melissa gato is a very underrated prospect i mean she's got a win over a first round win over carl hosa on, on her regional scene so look out for melissa gato but Melissa Gatto had a lot of moments of success in that fight. Melissa Gatto was able to take her down, was able to take her back, um, was able to have some good striking moments. It's just Melissa Gatto is one of those fighters we were talking about where she doesn't have any incentive to, stuck, to stuff takedowns because she's so comfortable playing off her back and she's so confident in her jujitsu that she's like, yeah, take me down because I want to show you how good my jujitsu is. And, you know, Cortez was able to neutralize that. Here with Hebas, if Hebas gets same of these, some of these same positions, talking about taking her back, or even if she gets on top of Cortez, I think that she maybe has more of a chance to maintain that top uh, control. 
Not to mention, she's the more well-rounded fighter here. So I'm going to lean with Hebos. It's just, it's contingent on Cortez not having, you know, extended periods of top control. And Cortez, like, you know, a lot of people were talking about, oh, she didn't she didn't cover her price tag against Gato. Whereas I'm looking at it as like, yeah, did she give up some bad positions? Yeah, but like she she was gritty in there, man. Like it was one to one going in that third round. She dug deep and she was able to get that final takedown, get that final top control and, and win the round. So she showed a lot of grit. She showed a lot of heart, a lot of toughness and strength does matter in these weight classes, especially at 125 where the wrestling is not very developed. So you got to give Cortez a lot of credit there. I, I lean Rebus because of the well-roundedness, but, you know, when, when Cortez gets on top of her for extended extended periods of time and you have a bet on Rebus, you can't blame anybody but yourself if, if that loses. So that's just the bottom line. But I'm going to go with Rebus to, to just slightly edge it. And I, I think it'll be a valuable learning lesson for Cortez. And once she'll... She'll bounce back from and be in the top 15 one day if she's not already there. So I like both ladies. Now, next up in hold on one second. I gotta blow my nose. Sorry, this this seasonal flu or cold shit is no joke. So next up in the 155-pound division, we got a matchup between Natan Levy. He's seven and one. Taking on Gennaro Valdez, who is 10 and 1. Currently, they got it. Natan Levy minus 185. The comeback on Gennaro Valdez is plus 160. So I like this fight a lot. Very familiar with both cultures, man. Uh Israel versus Mexico. Most of the time I go with Mexico over Israel. This specific time I'm going with Israel over Mexico. Both guys very stubborn. Both guys, you know, aren't, you know. You give them an inch, they'll take a mile. The thing about it is, though, Gennaro Valdez, as far as being a fan, like if if you want to bring your friends in to watch, you know, and they've never watched UFC before, just put on his fight against Matt Frivola, put on his fight on Contempt Series, put on some of his combate fights. Like this guy goes life and death with almost every single person he fights. Like whether it's him getting dropped, getting back up, and then dropping you, whether it's him getting taken down to full mounted, and then he reverses position, then he gets on top. Like Valdez is a is a wild man. The issue is that style is not going to have a very long shelf life, and that style leads to entertaining fights, but that style doesn't always lead to wins. Not to his credit, he's ten and one, so you know he, he's been doing really well so far. It's just that as the level of competition raises, now we're talking about the UFC. I'm not sure how much longer he can get away with that stuff. And like the one time he got to step up in competition for Vola goes out there and sets the record for most knockdowns in the first round of, of a lightweight fight. Right. Even more than a uh, gray Maynard landed against Frankie Edgar. Well, I'll say, uh, I, I got to sneeze here. Talk about this fight for a sec. Yeah. As Dan was mentioning, Valdez is the archetype of a killer be killed fighter, uh, high pressure, high output. The question for me is how does De Levy deal with the pressure? And how does Valdez deal with him over-pressuring? Because obviously, if he doesn't get Levy out of there, he's going to look like a wilted tomato at the end of round one and a half, pretty much, by the halfway round of uh, number two. So it, it's like, wh what do you expect here? It's going to be a different fight for Levy because he hasn't faced an opponent like Valdez. Uh, Levy's takedown defense is at 41% on the number, but Levy is the better submission grappler. Uh, in my opinion, he's never been finished. Valdez finished 
uh, he's been finishing one of his losses. But dropped Valdez. in multiple of his wins. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, Valdez has been dropped multiple times. Uh, Valdez also has a 100% finish rate in his wins. So it's going to be a very, very violent fight. And I really like the under two and a half in this fight. I lean Levy, but um, no bet for me. I like this kid Levy a lot. Look, I know our last names sound the same, but we don't spell them the same. But I like him in this spot, man. What I like about the kid is, firstly, he's had less than 10 pro fights. So you're going to be seeing those big leaps every single time he gets in there. The guy's got a nasty kicking game. I'm not just talking about to the to the legs, to the body, to the head. He can spin as well. And he's the kind of guy that will throw a head kick. And then if you get on top of him, man, I mean, this guy's rolling for leg locks. He actually had a uh, a grappling match with Chris Curtis, who's a fucking middleweight at the high rollers. And I think they might be friends. So I don't know if they were if Chris Curtis was taking it easy on him or not. But like Levy won the match. Levy suplexed Chris Curtis like Levy's got some legit grappling, man. And I think that it's one of those things where Levy uh, just needs some more experience, just needs to, you know, get his feet inside the octagon. Once he truly feels like this is his home. I think we're going to be seeing good things from him because what we have seen so far, I like. I mean, um, I love the fact that his grappling is on point. His get-up game's there. The kicks, the punches, you know, aren't as good as the kicks, but the punches are getting better. Also, dude's tough as nails. He's got a really good chin, and this is the perfect next step up the ladder for him. You know, this is a guy in Valdez who... No disrespect, no, you know, I, I I hate talking about how, oh, he won't be in the UFC this time next year, but he probably won't be in the UFC this time next year. And I think the matchmakers kind of view it as, you know, this is the appropriate next test for Levy to keep getting his feet wet because he does have talent. I just think he needs just some, some more seasoning, some more experience. Give him five more fights under his belt, and I think he's someone we could talk about. But right now, you know, fighting at the lower uh, tier of the division, I think this is the perfect match for him because Gennaro Valdez, you're not going to have to go very far to find this guy. And if Gennaro Valdez decides that, you know, those last few fights, we've been going balls to the wall, and now I need to tone it down a bit, well, that's going to be very uncharacteristic of him. And then I'm even more confident in Levy. But the bottom line is, if Gennaro fights like Gennaro fights, he's going to give him all the openings he needs. And I think it's going to be a head kick knockout, a heel hook, something knockout tko submission whatever whatever it takes so i got uh natan levy to come out here and win this fight and i haven't placed a bet on it yet but i am interested in betting levy in this spot so he's my pick and a potential bet for me now next up in the featherweight division we got a matchup between francis marshall oh, i'm excited i'm excited to talk about this he's six and oh taking on marcelo the argentine pitbull rojo with 16 and 8. currently well there haven't been any two dollar line moves yet my man but currently they got a francis marshall minus 155 to come back on marcelo rojo's plus 135 so just out, out, out the gate you know you saw that tweet that came out about how the new jersey uh, gaming commission wasn't going to accept any fights with James Kraus involved as a trainer, a fighter, a promoter, or this or that. Well, Marcelo Rojo did this camp with James Kraus, so needless to say, Kraus won't be in the corner. My friends in New Jersey, don't tell me about your apps on your phone, tell me about in person at the casino. Can you bet on this fight or not? Because if that, if there was any validity to that tweet, you can't, they're not taking action on this fight. Um, so it's interesting, Marcelo Rojo. 
I think he's a lot better at featherweight than he is at, at bantamweight. I think that, you know, at, at, at featherweight, you know, his gas tank is a little better. I know he slowed down against Air Jordan, but he also arguably won two rounds. I thought he only won one round, but Air Jordan's corner was telling him, like, dude, you need a finish. Um, and he went out there and got that finish. But, man, like, Rojo fought tough, man. Rojo has got some nasty knees, some calf kicks. Like, he can give it really well. There are questions about how how well he can take it, though, just because the guy's been in so many goddamn wars. But, granted, super experience. And with Francis Marshall, I loved what I saw in Contender Series. It was nothing like what I saw in the regional scene, but I loved what I saw in Contender Series. I mean, again, you guys know how I feel about this. When you can go out there, land over 100 significant strikes, and land, like, over five takedowns, like, like hey, like, that's that shit I like, you know what I mean? Like, long-term, those angles are going to cash you bets. It's just a matter of sometimes these guys come in there in their debut and they perform nothing like they did in their previous fights. Perfect example, Daniel Zell Hoover. Daniel Zell Hoover on that contender series fight looked like a future top 15 guy. He gets matched up with this guy who, you know, Trey Ogden has nowhere near the athletic capability, nowhere near the, the technique. But he's got the experience, right? And Zell Huber goes out there and just doesn't fight, doesn't pull the trigger. His starstruck, uh, you know, the bright lights got to him in his debut. I guarantee you, Zell Huber is going to look good in his, you know, in his subsequent fights. Just shot the bed in his debut. Francis Marshall is only six and up. I know he's got the skills to win this fight. I'm just worried about like if if you lay the chalk on Francis Marshall and he comes out here reluctant to pull the trigger, looks nothing like he did on tape. I mean, we've seen this so many times before. Now, about the James Krause side of things. I ne- I never had an issue with James Krause having a YouTube channel. I never had an issue with James Krause having a Discord channel. The reason I'm bringing that up is because people had huge issues with it. I don't give a fuck. Give your betting advice, whatever. I don't care. Where, where I did start to have an issue was two things. The account takeover talk, like... Some people have heard me comment on this, but if you haven't, I'm going to comment on it again. The way to do a legit account takeover, and it's still against the law, but it's just not against my morals, kind of like smoking weed is against the law, but I don't think it's like a big deal, kind of like I don't think gambling is a big deal, but like it's against the law in a lot of places. So the law is the law, but my morals and my ethics, there's nothing wrong with gambling. There's nothing wrong with smoking weed. There's nothing wrong with prostitution either in my my eyes. I don't give a shit. Do do what you got to do. But back to this. You remember when Krause's Discord talked about those account takeovers and what they were going to do was, okay, firstly, this is the legit way to do an account takeover. Let's say you have a friend who doesn't know shit about betting but is like a successful entrepreneur. So the the proper way to hypothetically do it would be, you know, your buddy invests 10K into an account and he tells you, okay, Get me back my 10K. So you pay him back on his initial investment. And then after that, all the profit you make, you split 50-50. Like that, that's how you do a legit account takeover. In my eyes, there's nothing ethically or morally wrong with that. Legally wrong, maybe, but morally and ethically, I have no issue with that. But what Krauss was trying to do, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, I could be wrong, but what I what I gathered, the gist of it was that he was trying to get like hundreds of people that he doesn't even know. To, to you know dump a bunch of money um in, into the account and if they had a losing week or whatever like Krauss had to get paid no matter what and the percentages were like 
was it like 70 30 65 35 like something crazy and it's like if you don't have my money you better get my fucking money and we're talking about hundreds of people account takeovers like people you don't fucking know people you don't know or trust you've never seen them in person like that's sketchy bro so that's where i was first like yo like like what's this guy doing because i explained like the legit way to do it and i explained the sketchy way to do it so there was that that's where i was first like okay maybe you know all these red flags people have been talking about maybe there's some merit to it because again I, I wasn't hating on his youtube channel i actually think the guy's well spoken i think the guy's very knowledgeable on this floor so i never had an issue with that but then the derek minner fight that's where he crossed the line in a way where you don't you don't come back from that and i think the the investigation you know is, is proof of that i mean but the fact is like when you go into a fight, right, and, you know, your opponent's a minus 200 favorite, and two hours before the fight, he gets steamed to minus 400, to minus 500, and people are smashing the round one prop. And Minner goes out there, first exchange is covering up like he doesn't want to be there, kicks with his injured leg, stumbles all over the place, kicks with his injured leg again, and then goes down with no resistance and just covers up like... People are people call all kinds of fights fixed, and I'm not one of those guys. And I'm not saying that this fight was fixed, but this was one of the first fights where I was ever like, yo, maybe this fight was fixed. Something sketchy happened, no matter what, hence why he's under investigation. So that's where I drew the line. That's where I was like, yo, what the fuck is going on? Because like, I know there's a lot of coaches with integrity that even if they know their fighter is injured, they're not going to go out there and bet against them no matter what just because of that loyalty. But who's to say, now I'm not saying this is what happened, but just speculation because there is an investigation. Who's to say that they weren't like, look, Minner, you're injured. You're still going to get your one check, but I'm going to have my people hammer your opponent's line. And even though you're only going to get your one check for uh, your show money, we're all going to get paid big time off this. I mean, the kind of money that must have been involved move the line from minus 200 to minus 400 to minus 500 in a span of an hour or two before the fight and that's a good alibi too because it's like well in those hour or two before the fight you're already in the venue warming the guy up hitting the pads so they can't accuse you of going to the sports book so you got your people to do it for you now if there's any paper trail of text messages then he's absolutely fucked so hopefully you know for his sake you know it was you know it's like in like the Sopranos where they walk in the room and they're like, hey, everybody turn your phones off or, you know, leave your phones in the other room. So that there's no way that 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 shit could, uh, you know, be tracked at all. And I heard Annex podcast and he said during the fighter meetings, Minner was acting kind of weird. So I'm just saying, man, like, don't be surprised if they had some of their people go out there and lay big, big bets and they were all able to collect afterwards. No accusation, just speculation. I'm going to pick Francis Marshall to win this fight. It's just that don't cry when you lay the chalk on Marshall and he comes out here and pulls a Zell Huber and then his very next fight looks amazing. So that's all I got. Don't pull it. Don't, don't cry when he pulls. Uh, what, what's the name of the chick that just uh, when he puts when he pulls a Tyler Santos against Mara Romero Barella and just stares for three straight rounds and then goes on to give Valentina the toughest fight. Right. That's the, that's the point I'm trying to make. Sometimes on their debut, they're gun shy. The moment's too much for them, so that's that's why I'm staying away, most likely, unless it really gets enticing. But, I mean, what if Marcelo Rojo's out here injured? What if Marcelo Rojo... I saw an interview with Rojo talking about how you badly need the money. 
just saying, bro. Just saying. Look out for sketchy line movement. Um, and my my Jersey friends, let me know if you're able to bet on this fight. Um, not not on your apps on your phone, but in person at the sports book. I'm a pick Marshall, but most likely I'm staying away. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure we can agree that Rojo has been thrown to the dogs for his first two UFC fights. I mean, we're talking about Jordan and Kyler Phillips. That's a, a pretty tough task in, in its own for your first two fights. Now, just logistics of things, Marshall is 11 years younger and has fought the less, ex less experienced competition. Rojo does a really good job at surviving early, but tends to wilt as the fight goes on and struggles with the grappling. It's one thing that he's shown in the first two UFC fights where he really struggles with the, the grappling exchanges and the wrestling exchanges. So it's, it's, it's worth to note, Rowe has been finished in six of his nine pro losses, five by way of submission. And um, interestingly enough, Marshall is a pretty good wrestler in his own right, and he can mix it up. So he, he might be able to, to brawl with Rojo for the first round or two rounds, and then in that third one, he sees Rojo wilting. He'll probably try and take him down and hunt submissions here. So uh, for, for me, a bet that I have to take is uh, Marshall by submission. Now, I'm probably not going to be laying a money line side chalk because I do think the money line side probably is Rojo just because obviously Marshall is, is his UFC debut. And we've seen countless times where once the, the fighter steps into the spotlight for that first time, uh, it, it, they fight a little bit differently. It's not the same. Some people have that adjustment period where it takes them a fight or two fights to, to finally be comfortable and, and relax in the octagon. Just because they, it's something they've been working to to get to their whole life. They're finally there, and they just freeze like the Zellhuber. He froze. So I, I do think Marshall still wins this fight. I don't want to lay the chalk on him, but I do think that the sub prop is uh, a good angle to to tackle with a little bit of a sprinkle. So uh, give me Marshall to win the fight, but no bet uh, besides the sub prop. Andy uh, said, "Would you?" Guys, consider the James Krause situation a top five story of the year if it comes out to be true. Regardless of if it comes out to be true, it's a top five story. I mean, the fact that, like I said, two hours before the fight, there's, you know, a fucking $2 line move, and then he goes down like he wants no part of the fight. Like, dude, that's already a top five story. And, and not, not to mention, man, um, so um, hold on. I'm losing my, my train of thought, but I had a really good point that I wanted to make uh, regarding this. Got my boy Leo here. Uh, here, go go ahead and talk about this for a sec, because I got to think about what I want to say, because I do have a really good point regarding this. Yeah, I mean, to, to answer the question from my point of view, uh, if it was a top five story, to be honest, this would be the top story of the year for me, because we haven't really seen something like this in MMA. It's it's a very rare situation where gambling interferes with the actual fight itself. And when a, when a coach forces a fighter to go out knowing that he's injured, I'm, these are just allegations, but if this is true, if he's forcing a fighter to go out just for a payday, that is trouble for his gym too. He could lose his gym. He could lose all of his brand deals, contracts, whatnot. It's it's a pretty serious story, and when, when these, I I personally wasn't aware of the line movement until after the fight, because I was just watching and I was at work. But for the most part, the, 
this is just something that we haven't seen before, as I mentioned, and it's it's crazy to even think about it because you we've never been to a point where we would even consider this a possibility of happening in the UFC. Like it's always been talked about, probably amongst friends, like, oh, what if a coacher just tells a fighter to throw the fight and they all bet uh, a whole wad of cash on the underdog? But it never really materializes into anything. It's just like a a chat between the boys. It's just you know. Uh, kind of like a not a dream but something that you you're imagining that's that's the way i see it okay so here's what i was gonna say i just remembered so you know how i was talking about how like okay kraus had his youtube channel his discord listen that doesn't affect me that doesn't bother me do your thing man that account takeover thing was sketchy but maybe you could chalk it up to you know this guy's just inexperienced he's kind of new to the betting scene he probably didn't know better the reason the Minner fight was where I was like, yo, like, what the fuck? Imagine, just hypothetically speaking, that I had money on Minner in that fight. Do you know how fucking pissed off I would have been? Look, it's one thing, you you guys have, that have been around me or on Twitter or whatever, you see that when I lose a bet, you know, whatever, give props to the other guy, move on to the next, because I truly believe there's a long-term game, and I'm not one of these guys writing paragraphs and crying when I lose. Take your L's and your W's like men, and you move on. But... I can tell you right now, like with all of my being, I would have been so pissed off if I bet Minner in that fight and that would have affected me directly. Him having a YouTube channel doesn't affect me. Him having a Discord doesn't affect me. The account takeovers kind of sketchy, but you know, maybe he's just ignorant and doesn't know what he's doing. But the Minner shit, if I had a fucking bet on Minner, do you know how pissed off I would have been? Like, yeah. That might have been the time I wrote a fucking paragraph about a loss, right? <laughs> and I wouldn't have blamed it on variance either. So I'm just saying, like, yeah, I'm very curious to see what comes out of this uh, out of this investigation. And I'm glad that we got to talk about that. And if you all enjoyed that conversation, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button. And before we get out of here, my man, we got one fight left in the strawweight division. Kicking off the card, we got Mexico's own Yasmin Yara Gui, she's 9-0, taking on Estela Nunes, who is 6-3. And, and currently, they got it. Yasmin Yara Gui, minus 305. The comeback on Estela Nunes is plus 255. I like Yasmin. Listen, I know the the line's a bit wide and, and this and that. Um, but, man, she showed the goods, man. Uh, she showed the high output. She showed the takedown defense for her debut to go out there and fight with that much heart, that much passion, that much conviction, and just that 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 presence she had in there. Like, that looked like someone, and she's young, man. What is she, 23 or 20, 21, 22, 23? She's just a kid. And the only reason that fight didn't win fight of the night was because, you know, president-elect Nate Landwehr fought david onama right after which was another fight that i heard from the grapevine something about krause's team having a million dollars on 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 onama anyone know anyone clear to anyone care to chime in on that <laughs> speaking of the devil which i cashed in on nate land we're like plus 265 maybe one of the best bets of the year i've made look estella nunez she ain't bad she ain't bad i just think she's a little bit inexperienced and i think that she you know has a bit of a pacing issue kind of you know, goes hard early, kind of doesn't have as much, uh, doesn't, you know, runs out of answers as the fights progress. And I just think the heart of Yasmin Yeragui, let alone the output, is going to carry her to, vic to, to victory here. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the favorite Yasmin uh, Yaragui to, to get this one done. And I think she might be someone that, 
No, not yet. We build her up the right way, give her the right incremental steps up the ladder. Um, you know, keep giving her people with, you know, three or less fights inside the octagon, get her to a certain point. Maybe we can see some big things down the line. But for now, I think she passes this test. Give me Yasmin Yaragui. Yeah, it's worth to know this is Yasmin's second UFC fight, and she's a huge favorite. And, I mean, we can kind of see why. Uh, Yasmin is more of a boxer, while Nunes is more of a kickboxer. Nunes tends to look good in the striking department early on. She uses all the energy and starts to wilt going into that second and third. Whereas Yasmin, she carried that that power and the and output throughout the three rounds in, in her first fight. Another thing to note, uh, both girls have the same amount of pro experience, but Yasmin is seven years younger. So that's that re that's really telling as well. The UFC experience obviously goes to Stella Nunes. Um, for, for me, the, the kryptonite for Stella Nunes is the takedown game, and I don't think Yasmin really is going to execute the takedowns here, although she's taken down some girls in the regional scene, but it, that's not her game. I don't expect her to go for these takedowns unless her coaches have been like, okay, the, your path of least resistance is taking this girl down because she just doesn't seem to get up. If Yasmin farts, uh, oh man, that, that's that's a clip. If if Yasmin fights smart, she she would go for the for the takedowns. Hey, uh, it, 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 it chimed in well with his comment. Can she squeeze out? <laughs> that's that's an all timer for me. Damn. Uh, if Yasmin fights smart, she she'll probably take this fight to the ground. But do I count on it? Probably not. The one issue I have here is well, well, wait, wait, wait. Why does she have to take it to the ground? I mean, she's got the output to hang on the feet fine. She does, but Estela Nunes in her own right, she's not a bad kickboxer. And I think the kicks could prove to, to be a good investment for, for Estela Nunes on the feet, whereas Yasmin is more of a boxer, not a kickboxer. So that's where I think it might be a little bit closer. Okay. Um, I don't I don't think it's a, a dogger pass situation necessarily. I think it's more of just a complete pass. Uh, a girl who's second fight in the UFC, I don't know if, I want to lay minus 300 and and more on her. So I will gladly pass, but I do think it's going to be a fun fight to watch and uh, another good fight for uh, Yasmin to show us why she belongs. So before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, my man, what is the fight to watch for UFC Orlando? For, for me, the fight to watch definitely has to be Roe versus Price. I love violence. You guys can watch a bunch of my breakdowns in the past. I am someone who, who loves watching violence and when it's pretty equal in, in terms of who's going to get the, that knockout or that submission, I, I just tend to be all eyes on screen. Like I will not tweet about it between rounds. I'm just locked in. So Roe versus Price has to be the fight to watch for me. What about okay. you, Dan? Well, guess what? I like violence, too. So for that reason, Sergey Pavlovich, who is tied to Ivasa, is right. my fight to watch. I mean, you're talking about a guy in Pavlovich, five UFC fights, all five have ended in the first round. You're talking about a guy in tied to Ivasa, knocked out the Black Beast, dropped Cyril Gan, knocked out a plethora of other fighters. I mean, these guys are going to draw a line in the sand. They're going to stand and bang until one man falls. And I think it's going to be fireworks uh, uh, in Orlando at the Amway Center. Now, Madi, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Orlando? My fighter to watch is going to be a surprise for a lot of people, but it's Roman Delice. Although he's fighting on short notice, uh, this is a very big opportunity for him to show why he belongs in the division, why he belongs in the top 10. 
And a win over Hermanson puts him in a prime spot for like another fight or two fights. He gets a, a chance at the title. And just given that it's on short notice, if he does manage to pull this off, it's a, a big statement for him. So it's definitely Roman Delita. Yeah, and for me, my fighter to watch is Phil Rowe. Listen, this is a guy that when he first came into the UFC, he was actually matched up with Carlos Condit for his debut. Like that, that's like the regard they held him in. Like, let's put in this prospect in his debut against the great, the, the natural born killer, the former WC champ, the former UFC interim champ, Carlos Condit. I was like, God damn, like that's a big step up in competition. And the thing about him, like I told you, round one, I don't know, he loses round one every single fight. It looks like a future top 15 guy, round two every single fight. And when he hits guys with that straight right, man, I mean, it's like that scene in Rush Hour where uh, my boy Chris Tucker gets kicked and he's like which one of y'all kicked me with that you know so um i'm very excited to see what happens when he's able to have success landing that straight right against a formidable tough battle tested just scarecrow opponent like nico price so for that reason phil rowe is my fighter to watch well my d we did it it's going down this saturday night live in orlando florida it's like going down around the pay-per-view times, meaning the main cards at 10 Eastern prelims are like at seven. So, yep. It's not another early one. Let me, let me correct you on that prelims from what I've seen was at 1 PM Pacific. So that's 3 PM East or no 4 PM Eastern. So, so that's like the early prelims. And then isn't, I swear I saw the main card was prelims on this one. Uh, let me swear, up, oh, let's let's see what my boy Big Marcel is saying on this shit. He he posts some great graphics. Oh, I'm I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I was looking at a at a, a future fight night. But yeah, f 7 p.m. Eastern. My bad for that. For the prelims and 10 p.m. Eastern for the main card. And they're treating this like a pay per view, man. There's a lot of really good fights, and I could see why they're doing this. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Looking forward to it. A couple of fan questions before we get out of here. Uh, Marcus asked, heard anything about the UFC sponsor Venom? Seems better than Reebok. I mean, all I know is that they're paying them more and the outfits look slicker. So, and, and like Venom, like legit has a lot of experience in combat sports. Like I know, you know, being a Muay Thai guy yourself, you know, mm -hmm. back when I was training Muay Thai all the time, my gloves and my fucking shin guards were, were Venom gear. So like. My gloves and shin guards right now are Venom. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they make great fucking gear. So. It's pretty cool, and you know, hopefully, as the years progress, they start paying them more. the the gear The gear starts looking even slicker, and yeah, take it from there. And weren't they a, a previous sponsor like a couple of years ago? I don't know. I mean, maybe like in terms of fighters were able to have multiple sponsors, so maybe Venom sponsors certain fighters, but they were never like the exclusive sponsor until now. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let me see if we got any more questions. There are, like, so many fucking comments. Hey, everyone that's here, thank you all so much. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Truly, truly appreciate it. Um, thank you all for being here. Follow my guest co-host, Madi, at WizBets. That's with two Zs. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Subscribe to Half the Battle. Everywhere podcasts are found. When this is over, leave me a comment. Feel free to share. Tell your friends. Uh, hide your wife. Hide your kids. Let let us know what your guys' favorite fight is or the fight you're looking forward to and the, the fighter you're looking forward to watching this event because I'm curious to see what you guys have uh, in mind here. Yeah, there's 15 fights to choose from and 30 fighters to choose from. So 
Lots of lots of options. So thank you again for joining me, my friend. Thank you to all the fans. Uh, looking forward to it Saturday. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.